and gentlemen, to Red Raccoon Radio, a podcast where I go ahead and lure uh, gameologists of my friendly local game store into a room and lock them in until they finally have a conversation that's satisfying to me. Uh, today I am joined by our owner, Jamie. Hey, everybody. And by a new voice, uh, and this is one I don't even think I had to take captive. I think if I just told her that you get to talk about video game, um, board games if you come in here, uh, you can say whatever you like, she would just run up here, and that is Jill. It's me! Yeah, no, you didn't have to take me captive the no. second it was like, hey, who wants to uh, come chat this week? It's like, me. Yep. I'll do it. I'm here. A gif was put into the group chat, and the rest was history. Yes, I don't it even was. think you ever said yes. The gif was just confirmation. It was. <laughs> Uh, so, Jill, what do you love about working at the game shop? What are your specialties at the store? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, to give a little <laughs> bit of a backstory, I moved here in 2019 and knew nobody. And so, at first, before I even started from working From the East here, Coast. Not just from somewhere else in Illinois or oh, the Midwest, yeah. but from the East Coast, which has been a source of all kinds of hilarity over the yep. couple of years. You've given up fresh fish to move to Illinois. It makes me so sad. Yeah. Okay. I, I miss lobster that isn't $35 <laughs> so much. Um, but yeah, I moved here from, uh, I went to college in New Hampshire. Um, moved here, and I needed something to do. Uh, when I wasn't um, at my main job as a teacher, and I play a lot of D&D, so I joined the Adventures League as a DM, uh, and that's where I met all of my friends in town, but inadvertently, I started working here um, because I realized it was super cool. So my main things at the store uh, are RPGs as a whole. I love D&D. Um, I've been branching into new ones uh, for me, so like Call of Cthulhu, Dread, all of that stuff. Um, but I'm also an avid Pokemon player, um, both the video games, but also the TCG. And we kind of discovered that I, um, know quite a bit about the TCG, uh, in comparison. And so inadvertently I've turned into a cardboard goblin. Um, and that's kind of what I do now mainly. Um, I still come upstairs and help out with board games as a whole. And I love board games as a whole. Uh, but Pokemon is really my... My big thing. Your jam. Yeah. We've had a lot of fun trying to explain over time things that are actual real foods in the Midwest. That she's like, shut up, you guys are just messing with me. Sometimes I think they're just saying like syllables, and they're like, this is a food. If I only knew that, we could have had a whole episode that was a game of, is this a food? Is is it a food or a board game? Yeah. Yeah. Like Like, (laughs) horseshoe. Well, that's the thing. That that was one of them. Horseshoe's one of them. They're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, just get a horseshoe. And I'm like, you're making that up. Like, that's not actual food, right? Or was that one day I was trying to explain to you deep-fried Snickers and deep-fried Twinkies? Yeah, and we were like, deep-fried Oreos. And I was like, yeah, yeah just deep-fry everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, we do. We don't have an ocean, so we just make our own <laughs> grease ocean and throw Wait, everything in there. And they're like, and this is fine. Yeah, we're good with this. We that's fish. hilarious. It is. Uh, real quick as a side note, where do you guys go for horseshoes in Bloomington, Illinois? Just so I'm aware. Or do you go to for her? I usually don't actually have one here. If I want a horseshoe, I most of the time will drive to Springfield Darcy's and go to like Darcy's Pint. Yep. Darcy's okay. Pint. I'll have to remember. I we've yeah. been to Schooners. Is that what it is? Schooners. 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 You can tell how much I've been there. Um, and um, one of my friends had gotten one when we went out to eat, and they were like, "Yeah, we'll we'll take some buns for it." And I was like, "Buns? Like multiple things the size of a dinner plate?" I'm yep. like, oh, okay, that's, that's, oh, you know, oh, wait, no, wait. No, that's the yeah, King Tenderloin. That's Tenderloin. That's the King Tenderloin. For horseshoes, I have no idea. I was thinking Tenderloin. That's another yeah. thing we don't have on the East Coast is plate-sized Tenderloin. 
Yeah, so. the, the the horse, the the King Tenderloin. Have you ever had that over there? I have not. It's the size. I think it, they usually bring it out on like a 12 inch pizza pizza platter. Yep. And so when you order it, they say how many buns do you want with that? And I think you can get four or five. Yep. Because you can then cut the tenderloin and make four or five big pork tenderloin sandwiches with it. They're good. And I've had friends who thought I was kidding when that when they you know they thought it was all part of an elaborate joke. No, that's how they serve them at schooners. One for the table. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I will say yes. Darcy's Pint is the place to go. It is. All right. It's weird because Springfield is our capital, but there's not really a lot of things that I think of. Oh, we have to go to Springfield for right. X. Darcy's Pint. Horseshoes are one of them. Good to know. I, yeah. I have eaten them in the parking lot because of COVID before. That's, <laughs> that's how good they are. Right. Yeah, I awesome. agree with this. Yes. But that's not where we are. We aren't in Springfield. We're right here in Bloomington, Illinois, where that's where Red Raccoon Games is located. And I wanted to know, what were some of the things that happened in the store this week? Uh, I think all week long, the big thing is the new Pokemon set, Evolving Skies, came out on Monday. Yes. And how weird it is we have Jill on the podcast the Whoa. same week that happened. That's so yeah. weird. Well, and it was, a, it was a crazy week because all the shipping issues we've been talking about on this podcast multiple times uh, hit Got again. Us. Because... Yeah. We were supposed to get booster boxes and elite trainers and battle stadiums and all these various products. And for Monday, nothing showed up but booster boxes. And everybody that had other stuff pre-ordered was like, where's our stuff? And it was just uh, all the most of our elite trainer boxes were sitting on a pallet in Chicago stuck in a warehouse. And I kept calling like. Please bring those to us. Can we come get them? Can we drive to Chicago and pick these up? <laughs> like, we'll bring cars up there. Like, yeah. can we, yeah. And it was a shortage of drivers, and they didn't have, it was a big pallet, and they didn't have a lift gate to take it out of the truck and set it on the ground. I'm like, just put it in any kind of truck. We will get it out of the back of the truck. Just get it to Bloomington. We will get the product out of that truck. Yeah. And um, so that was a big one. It was all week long of everyday people saying, did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? And every day we had to keep disappointing them, and they finally showed up on Friday. So yep. four days late. And, and with it was a pretty, I mean, still is a pretty spicy set. So yeah. people were definitely, you know. So I, in Magic, I somewhat understand that there are different worlds that we kind of visit and see uh, the different ways that the mechanics of interact with those worlds. Like Strixhaven is a school of magic, and right. uh, there, there's many others that are out there for. For Pokemon, is it just different regions? What what does the, all these different sets really mean? So all of these recent sets have all been within Sword and Shield. Um, so that is, all of them are based in the Galar region, which is the newest region that is on uh, in video games. So like Sword and Shield for Switch. Gotcha. Um, and that being said, the reason why some sets are a little bit hotter than others is solely based off of nostalgia. It's usually the big Pokemon that are printed in those sets are big for collectors. Mm. Um, those cards also happen to be very good for the TCG. For example, uh, in the newest set, Evolving Skies, there's a Rayquaza VMAX that is currently the most expensive card because it, I think it's sitting right now around 350 bucks as of right now. Um, and because everybody wants it for their deck. Everyone wants it for their deck. Um, behind that is an Umbreon VMAX, which is a, a pretty okay card as far as competitive. People solely want it because there's an Umbreon. It's an Evolution. Yeah, um, this, this set of Evolving Skies had every Evolution 
in it. So that is oh. eight of them that yep. Eevee can evolve into. And they're all in there with regular art cards and then some amazing artwork for these full art cards oh, that they gorgeous. did. Oh, they're gorgeous. And collectors are going crazy. Depending on which article you read, Eevee is either the second or third most popular Pokemon. Yep. Um, trading places with Charizard on a regular basis and... Everybody has their own opinion on how that plays out. With Pikachu's always going to be number one, but, right, right. but after that, um, and so the fact that all eight evolutions were in this set, the cards, the artwork was amazing, and some of them are actually pretty good in the game too. They're good. They're really good. So this is fascinating to me for many reasons because I feel like Pokemon never really came out with the. I wouldn't say the fanfare that Magic did, but it was very much geared towards a younger generation. Yes. Do you think that that is part of the success is because it's grown up with its users over time, or is it it's able to grab new kids along with the video games at the same time? Like, why is this almost a competitor for Magic? I think it's a good combination of both of those. With Magic, you really get a lot of that, um, like like you said, fanfare of all of these different sets going on and the next cards that's that are competitive um, and ready to go. I think Pokemon's grown up with the people that first were around, you know, in the late 90s um, with those sets, but they keep attracting kids. Um, I have students all the time come up to me and talk to me about Pokemon cards, and they have pretty much the same level of knowledge I do about all of the different, like, new Pokemon. Um, and even as young as, like, I've talked to, like, six or seven-year-olds, um, the reading level on those cards makes it easier for a younger generation to play the game, and I think that's why it's a bit more accessible. Um, yeah. Yeah. We had a, I had a mom in yesterday, and this is a conversation I've probably had 10,000 times. Um, her son just went back to school, yep. right? And he's a first grader, which means that last year he missed pretty much all of kindergarten. He was virtual. And so he goes back to school, and his friends at school have... Pokemon cards, and now all of a sudden they end up in the game store, and she has no idea what is happening with this world of Pokemon. And it's a conversation we've had, like I said, 10,000 times trying to explain to parents, here's what's going on. And I usually tell parents we need kids to, to be able to read at a pretty solid third grade level, to really read all the cards and grasp everything that's going on. But it has a, a basic level of math, and it has basic reading on the cards, like Jill said, and it makes it much more accessible to them. Plus, you could do a master's class in marketing, or write a senior thesis in marketing, oh, yeah. just on how integrated Pokemon is with the Pokemon cartoons, reinforcing the movies, reinforcing the Pokemon Go on the phones, toys. reinforcing mm -hmm. toys. And then you've got uh, the video games, and then you've got the card game, and they all cross-market amongst each other. Yep. Everything comes out with an integrated plan of, like, Sword and Shield, the video game, led us into Sword and Shield, the card game, which mm -hmm. was Sword and Shield, the cartoon, which was Sword and Shield, the movie, which was Sword and Shield, the mm -hmm. toys. And it's completely integrated. And even on that, it, it gets to such a deep level that if you look at the past two sets, Chilling Rain and Battle Styles, those are Sword and Shield sets, but it's not just based off of, like, it's not the base set, Sword and Shield stuff. It's based off of the DLC in the video games. So Chilling Rain is based off of when you're going to the, like, the Snowy Tundra Southern DLC. I can't remember the exact name. 
Um, and it's where you're meeting all of these different legendaries, like the Galarian version of Articuno and Zapdos and Moltres. Battle styles is when you get a couple other legendaries separately. So those two entire sets are based off of DLC. Um, and so it's just so tied into itself that once you, once, like, especially kids start looking at one thing, like, for example, the TV show, um, and then they're like, oh, wait, I can get the same Pokemon in these cards, and also there's a video game. Magic doesn't really have that. Um, it's just, here's the card game. They're trying. Oh, they're, they are trying. Yeah, they're trying. That is true. And it is, it is expanding, so that is true. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, you know, I think there's also an element to it that, a lot of kids do learn how to play the game, but a lot of kids are also just happy to have their favorite Pokemon as a card. Yeah. Like some of my students are like, I have no idea how to play this game, but check out this really cool card I have. And they're excited that way. And that's that's really cool. Yeah, I agree with that too. Uh, with my nephews, that's exactly how it was. They had Pokemon cards out the wazoo, and I said, let's learn how to play. And they had no interest whatsoever. Yep. But they had them because of, there was just that sense of, that that term gotta collect them all yep. has permeated into kids' minds. They mm -hmm. have made kids into more collectors. Uh, one of my favorite things I listened to in a recent documentary about He-Man is that at the time He-Man came out, they knew kids felt like they didn't have any choices. So that's why the tagline of He-Man is "I have the power," because they want kids to hold aloft a stick or a sword in their mind and say. I have the power and feel like they have the choice. And I completely see that flowing into what yep. Pokemon does with the gotta catch them all because there's this whole world that you can adopt, that you can control, that you can train and interact with and build relationships with. And then that that is rewarding because you have things, as you said, the video games, the comic books. Now we have Pokemon Go so yep. kids can go out and... That was one of the weirdest things, I think, for adults, was that so many adults were brought back into Pokemon as well because of Pokemon Go, and it's weird success that one yep. summer where yeah. strangers would talk to each other on the streets, and it wasn't a weird thing. I was in college when, that, uh, when Pokemon Go came out in 2016, and it was weird because all of the Pokestops, when you normally see them, are historic buildings, um, and then specific ones will be gyms. Well, on a college campus, every building is a historic building. So every building was a Pokestop. You would just see people like huddled around buildings and you'd be like, hey, are you, are you playing Pokemon Go? Yeah. And you would just talk to people. It right. was weird. Can but, I add you to my friends list? Yeah. yeah. What team are you? Oh, you're, oh, you're instinct. Like, oh, How dare you. Um, there's also a, an interesting Bunch of thing. yellow players. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, Pokemon's been pushing towards adults more too recently, which is cool. Um, touching on video games for a hot second, Pokemon Unite came out on Switch and that's a MOBA. Yep. So that is, um, and kids can play MOBAs too, but it's, um, real time action based. You're going through different lanes as Pokemon using their evolutions and moves, that's coming on mobile pretty soon as well, but it's mainly on Switch right now. And then, and I don't have this in front of me, uh, I think they're doing, or visiting Sinnoh, or... They are, yeah. Yeah, but in a completely different way that is much more open world, yep. and it's not, you run into an enemy, you go to a screen, and then you select moves. You're throwing out Pokemon, yep. you're dodging attacks from the Pokemon. Yep. So it's, it's bringing a, a higher level of gameplay that... 
kids yeah. might not be as familiar with, but adults could definitely more resonate. Yeah, that's Pokemon Arceus. Um, yes. And I guess the gist of it is you're in the Sinnoh region, but it's like feudal Japan. It's before so, the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's the whole like aesthetic of Pokemon looks a little different. You're actually... There's some clips in the trailer of you being straight up chased by Pokemon. Yes. That never happens in no. the show now. Like that, no, that doesn't happen. Um, so it's pretty cool. There's also uh, remakes of Diamond and Pearl coming out actually in two months or three months, November. Um, so that's probably going to prompt some new stuff coming out. Speaking of new Pokemon stuff, our first real news article we're covering today is that the Pokemon trading card game is, is going to be coming possibly to mobile. There are some teases coming to that where they're going to follow the Magic Arena mindset and try and have that same experience in your hand. Now, Jillian, as our resident Pokemon expert yes. and card goblin, how does this make you feel? It's, it's interesting. I hope they do a good job with it. Um, so currently you can play Pokemon TCG online on your phone, but it is, I guess the best way to describe it is archaic. Um, because when they designed uh, their TCG online, it's it kind of feels like an educational game almost. It doesn't feel like you're you're playing a competitive card game uh, like Arena does. Arena feels like you are you're really essentially like you're sitting down at the table with people and playing. Um, TCG online does not have that vibe. Um, I think it was actually designed to be an educational. Thing. I think it I think, was. I think that was that was their number one purpose was to and for the long well. Actually, I was, I still tell people on a regular basis that it is the best tutorial system for yes. any game still. I mean, Arena has a pretty good tutorial system and teach people how to play Magic, but the TCG player Pokemon Online um, is still a better tutorial system because it has to be able to teach kids yep. how to play the game. And yep. I think that um, adding online play was an afterthought. I, I didn't so. know it actually worked on a phone. I knew it worked on a tablet, but I've never... It, at least on my Android, it's not available to download. I, I think, think it's mainly just iPhone. I I use it on my iPad. Okay. Um, yeah, I know it's on I, I know it's on tablets like the iPad. I yeah. just didn't know they ever it even loaded on a phone. It's it feels almost like pretty janky, honestly. I think they created yeah. it mainly for because the time that it came out was when like computer rooms were a thing. Um, where it'd be like, hey, I'm gonna go play on the computer for an hour and sit like at your parents' desk, and so it has that kind of like mid 2000s vibe to it. And then they're like, oh, maybe we should put this on devices. So it's switching yeah. over to TCG Live. Uh, the main reason we know about it as a thing is the back of the new Fusion set that comes out in November. Yeah. Um, there's language on the box that says TCG Live codes. Fusion Strike. Yeah, Fusion Strike. Yes. Um, I just remembered the V Union cards, and I couldn't remember much yeah. else. Um, so they're hinting that it might be a whole new thing. They're not sure, well, none of us are sure right now, if it means that they're going to get rid of TCG Online, or if this is just a rebranding of it completely. The Pokemon Company hasn't said anything. No, they haven't. They didn't uh, even announce it. Somebody just noticed it was on the back of the box. Yep. And was started going, wait, what's that? It's like, what is that? That's not, yeah. The one thing I'm worried about... Um, and I think I hopefully they'll do a good job of it is I know a lot of people when they're playing on TCG online currently, they've imported a ton of card codes um, because unlike magic, you get a code in every single pack of Pokemon you open, which means you get a virtual pack. So I have hundreds and hundreds of packs on my online account. Hopefully those cards port over into live because 
Or, for example, the old boxes. Like if you buy an old box of Evolutions that's sealed or like um, Diamond and Pearl or something like that and you pull out an old code card, will that still work? Um, yeah. Well, and hopefully the, the code cards have had QR codes on them forever <laughs> yes. that don't work. Yep. Right? I mean, like to me, if you put a QR code on there, it should be able to, my device should Use be able device. to read that code card in instead of having to type in a 16 alphanumeric yep. um, code into the system. And it, it's never worked right. It's, yep. so hopefully they, they create a system so that those old code cards not well. One, not only your, all your old stuff imports into the new whatever yeah. this new system is, but also hopefully all those code cards automatically get read in as an easier process than it is yep. right now. Currently, the only way you can scan those is if you use your computer's webcam, which is a huge pain because half the time your webcam won't focus on the card, so you're just like awkwardly holding it. Like I just want this pack of cards, please. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not worth it half the time. So, That's why I haven't typed them all in because I have yep. I, I have on my desk at home probably 20 cards that I've just like, I'm not typing that in. Yeah, it takes too long. So from your experiences with the Magic Arena and what possibly this could be, what do you think could be the killer option other than this online code that would really maybe take Pokemon above and beyond Arena and its popularity right now? I think um, better integration of friends list would be a good one. Right, because right now it kind of works, but it still can be weird where you just can't connect and play with your friends the way that you want to. Um, so I think that would be a good one. And right now, I don't think there's any kind of tournament ladder structure at there all. There isn't, no. If, if there is, I don't know how to get to it. So The closest thing to it is you're able to select what type of deck you're using. So you build your deck, and it'll tell you based off the cards you're picking what type of deck that's eligible for. Um, whether it's something that's in standard, like free play style stuff, um, you can pick that tier and that kind of shows competitive wise. Like if your deck is all standard, you're playing probably with more serious players versus you can pick any cards you want to. Um, so having like a tournament style, like, t like a ladder list that you could play would be great. Another thing that I hope they fix, cause I, I feel like it'll be killer otherwise is their trading system. Uh, currently, when you're trading in online, anything that you want to trade, you have to select as tradable in your entire collection, which means if I'm sitting across from Jamie and he's like, oh, I really like that card, I have to filter through all of my cards, find it, select it as tradable. He has to go into my collection, find the tradable cards, and then hit that instead of just clicking on, this is your whole collection, I want this, can I have it? Because I feel like there's there's such an easier way you could do that than mm -hmm. what they have right now. It feels like you're doing seven steps when you could really only do one. Like yeah, and the the search in that isn't great either. No. So you kind of have to flip through all the pages to look for the card and see where it's at. Yep. And if if there was a search even where I could type in just the first few letters and start really filtering down, yep. it's like a modern search system for or the cards. Or even type like Vmax. Let me see all the Vmaxes you have. You can't really do oh, that. Oh, yeah, search by type would be nice, that too. That would be awesome. Yeah. A tag system of some sort. Yes. Yeah. So uh, they'll probably do that. I feel like... Only show me dark cards that happen to be, you know, like this. Yeah, that'd be good. Exactly. I, I, I'm hoping they will. Again, we have no info on it, but they're starting to lean in more towards catering towards adults as well as kids, so I feel like they'll, they'll take that feedback. Um, the Pokemon Company, all of their previous apps um, have been pretty good. 
uh, Nintendo's apps as a whole are pretty hit or miss. Yeah. Poke like there's uh, Pokemon Masters. Um, obviously, Pokemon Go is technically made by Niantic, so it doesn't fully count. Um, but uh, Pokemon Quest, the Pokemon company's been good about mobile apps. Um, so hopefully this helps. Let me tell you why I know they're good with mobile apps. Okay. Because I played a game called Magikarp Jump. I love Magikarp Jump! For so much longer than I should have. And it is literally, <laughs> the name says it all. You are a Pokemon trainer that only gets a Magikarp. <laughs> Just jump! And you take your po- your your Magikarp, and you train it, and yep. you make it jump. Yep. At competitions. And I don't know why that, so that hook just got me, because normally mobile games never did. Yes. But Pokemon, this Magikarp jump, it's not even Pokemon. You see no other Pokemon. No, Throughout it's, the whole entire game. No. Uh, and no redeeming characters. It is just literally this nice loop of, I'm going to keep on training, I'm going to try and get better, I can make this work. And jump. Get higher, and just jump. And I always feel like, at the end of that game, the Magikarp should have been able to jump to the moon, because they make you feel like it's this... This grandiose, this jump is this amazing experience to witness. So yeah. now let me tell, let me let me throw one last thing in before we move on to for this app and something it possibly could do. When they announced the name, I had this instant thought, right? Because they're talking about it's going to be, it's going to be Pokemon trading card game live. Wizards of the Coast has a piece of software that's in beta that they've been trying to figure out, and it kind of works and kind of doesn't. I think it's called Spell Table. If, I, if I'm getting this right, um, I haven't played with it a ton, but what it does is it, it allows you to put your phone, your mobile device, on like a stand or something and aim it at the table and play using your cards because it's showing your table and what cards you have in which places to the other person, and then you can watch that. Yeah, so it's, That's it's, crazy. it's a way to play with your physical cards um, and, and play with your physical cards versus somebody else with their physical cards, and it's an easy way. It's almost it's just basically camera sharing app, right? Right. But it makes it so that you can pair up with your friends and start a tournament and stuff like that. I can watch what you're doing. You can watch what I'm doing, and we're playing with the physical cards. That's another possible that. angle that they could go down with this one to reinforce that. You know, they their bread and butter where they're really making their money is on the cards and not on the Pokemon. Um, yes. You know, online right now. So that's another angle. That was my, the first thing my brain jumped to is, are they seeing these tests that, that Magic is doing? And they're saying, we could do that too. Yep. If you can get the camera activated so that it's reading cards and then get augmented reality to really function well on a Pokemon game. That'd be cool. Where you play a card and you actually see... Charizard pop out oh, of the card. That's the dream. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. That, That'd be cool. That, to me, from what you're talking about, that's the next logical yep. step, is, the, is to make it feel like it's a video game that you're playing right on a table. The one thing I worry about, and I guess this can really go either way, because I now that you mentioned that and I looked it up while you were talking about it, um, I feel like that, that might be a thing that they would hopefully integrate, is proxies. And I wonder how Magic deals with that as well. Because if you have a proxy version of a card, your camera can't pick it up and tell if it's real or not. In Magic, it's not a huge issue, and usually people are pretty open about, like, yeah, I'm playing with proxies. In Pokemon, a lot of the times, kids will play with proxies and not realize it. So I guess it brings the issue of... Well... Yeah. Let's use the real term, counterfeit cards. Counterfeit cards, yes, counterfeit exactly. Counterfeit cards, right? <laughs> 
So Wizards of the Coast official stance has been for the last few years is you may not use a proxy in any sort of a tournament structure. Okay. We understand that, you know, and they were nicer about it. They were calling them play test cards. Yep. And some people will just stick a sticky note in a sleeve over a basic land card and say, this is going to be this you know, card, Virgin whatever. Catacombs, whatever it might be. Yeah. I just randomly grabbed the name of a magic nice. card there. <laughs> and um, other people would download, there are there are things where you can download black and white images of the card, cut them out, and then again, slide them in front of a a basic land card. And, and so you can learn how to play with cards and deck test, yes. right? However, we have also had a significant issue in Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, and Pokemon of straight-up counterfeit cards Yes, where there are companies that are trying to do everything in their power to make a card that is so accurate nobody can tell the difference. And is it real or is it not? And those are what we end up seeing the kids have a lot of times because they don't know how to check their parents maybe bought it at a flea market or somewhere else, and they didn't. The parents didn't know that they were buying. They just said, "Oh, Pokemon cards. Oh, Pokemon. That's a good price. Yep. And I'm going to buy some of these cards for the kid. It'll make him happy. And it does make the kids happy. But as a store, we have to be really careful when cards are coming in to make sure we're buying real cards and not yes. counterfeit card. Pokemon Company, Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh! are all taking steps to improve the security of the new cards they're making. But there's a lot of old cards out there where sometimes it's getting harder and harder to tell the difference between, you know, you generously call them playtest cards or proxies, but they're, <laughs> they're straight they're up fakes. being designed <laughs> as counterfeit cards. Yep. Even to the point where, you know, Wizards of the Coast a, a couple years ago integrated little foil symbols on the bottom of all rare and mythic cards. Oh yeah. And those are now showing up on the proxy cards too. So if they were, if their intent was it for just to be a proxy for play testing, they wouldn't take that step to put that foil piece on there. People are legit trying to sell counterfeit and they don't always know they even have, we have players that don't even know sometimes that they have counterfeit cards until we look at it and we're like, this isn't real. Right. Here's a real version of what it's supposed to look like. Here's yours. This is not real. Right. I'm picturing a fake episode of Pawn Stores within the Red Raccoon store where it's just someone bringing in what they think is great cards and them having to be demolished whenever they find out that they're all counterfeit. See, you say that. That's it, pretty accurate. It happens. <laughs> it's, it's, there's been moments where I've had, picking a very specific card, I've had... Um, in Burning Shadows, um, there's a rainbow uh, Charizard GX, and it's gorgeous. It was one of the first times they did, like, a rainbow Charizard secret rare. Super cool. I had a kid come in, and they're like, how much is this card worth? Pulled it out instantly was not, like, you could tell. Very, it was not a great fake. And so I'm like, it's worth nothing. And um, his dad was like, well, this is a $400 card. And I'm like, well, yes, if it were a real card. And so, you know, most of the time when that happens with kids, you'll ask, you know, where did you get this from? And nine times out of ten, it's, oh, I got it, I got it traded from school. Yeah. And so that falls down that rabbit hole. So, yeah, that's pretty – it feels like Pawn Stars where you're like Chum Lee or something. And you're like, <laughs> nope, can't give you anything for it. So. And it's not always a $400 card, though. Sometimes, Sometimes I had one come in, and it was uh, – it's another business owner in town. Comes in with his boys. And the, one of the boys has got this card. He traded for somebody at school, and they're like, "We looked this up. This is a forty-five dollar card." And I pull it out of the sleeve, and you can a lot of times you can instantly feel it like something's wrong. And then I was like, "Wait a minute! This card is supposed to be textured. That's one of the things Pokemon has done with a lot of secret rares. Is you can feel the texture on them, 
And if you look at them in the pictures, you see, you can see the ridges in a really good picture of it. And this guy, I'm like, this card's supposed to be textured and this has no texture on it. Yep. And I showed dad the pictures of what it was supposed to look like because we didn't have one at the time. And he's just like, crap. Yep. <laughs> uh, it, it happens all the time. Constant. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think we can all agree Pokemon is taking over the world. Yes. Uh, the Pokemon company is doing extremely well right now, but sadly, not all board game and gaming industries are. Uh, and that's bringing us to our next topic, which is, uh, sadly, IDW Games That has... was a good transition. That was a Thank really you. good... I was like, okay. Where, I was like, where are you going with this one? I'm, oh, I'm, I like it. It slid right in there. Not I'm, I'm changing like, where I might be good at this. Yeah, um, there you go. But no, IDW Games has uh, basically announced that they will be shutting down, uh, which has been a very interesting gaming company that came out of a comic book company. IDW Comics was mm -hmm. becoming a, kind of an indie darling for a long period of time, and they started getting into the board game industry with some of their titles, but then they kind of reached out. So uh, things that have been really successful with them are Machi Koro and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games have all been underneath them. Uh, and sadly, we did see that there were some weird things going on because uh, the Metal Gear Solid game, which had been highly looked at and scrutinized, yes. just sort of fell through. And it all just kind of went away in a very bizarre way, uh, as well as a board game based around Lock and Key, the comic book series. Yeah, oh. I'm sad about that one because that game looked really cool. It did look cool. Uh, the creator, uh, Neil Kimball, for the designer of the game, uh, said that he, this is a quote from Dice Breakers, if you're interested in looking it up. Uh, sadly, this game got canceled, uh, along with a slew of other games that were in the pipeline, just because it was going to go to press. Oh, just before it was going to go to press, Kimball said. I'm in talks with other publishers to perhaps retheme and update the game, but sadly, a lock and key version won't see the light of day, because yeah. IDW, I believe, is the owner of that IP right now. Yep. Yeah. And so... I think that, especially on this podcast, we have been talking about the shipping issues that have been going on, rising costs, the fact that Kickstarters are now constantly having to think of other ways in order to raise funds even after the Kickstarter in order to afford these fees. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, with COVID coming in and disrupting some of the production line as well, uh, there are some definite repercussions of this last year for sure. And so I guess my question is, do you think that this is an isolated incident to IDW or is this no. something that we're going to start hearing more and more as we go into 2022? So this one was, um, when you sent it to me, I hadn't heard about IDW. The most recent one that I heard about was North Star Games. And um, North Star Games had a bunch of, of hits that are there. They were really a lot of family themed games that were very accessible and easy to get in for, to, for families. And we couldn't figure out why we couldn't reorder some of the stuff. And, and probably yep. the biggest one that we just sell a ton of copies because it's just such a ludicrously fun game is Happy Salmon. And we, we couldn't get reorders. We're like, what's going on with reorders? Why can't we get this? Um, and I think North Star, one of their biggest hits were the Evolution games, which was more of a crunchy gamer game, um, literally where you're um, evolving into dinosaurs and, and, and you have to make choices cool. over whether you're going to be a meat eater, a plant eater, or omnivore and stuff. And um, But we, and then all of a sudden, um, I went to, at the last podcast we talked about, I went to the Astro Toy Show in Minneapolis, 
And they were telling me that basically Northstar, it was going, I don't know if they went bankrupt or they chose to sell off all their IP before they went bankrupt or they were tired of doing it and making the fight, but they were selling off all the pieces and I was able to find a couple new places to buy some of the stuff. I think we're going to see it more often and I think we're going to see it. It's, it's really going to be the smaller publishers that are going to take the brunt because the bigger ones can spread costs across a lot more games. IDW didn't actually announce that they were shutting it down other than they just kind of slid a line into their uh, second quarter earnings yes. call that said, yeah, we're exiting the games business, but they didn't actually make that announcement anywhere. Um, I, I think we're going to see more of it. Um, the CEO of Steve Jackson Games, of course, famous for Munchkin, mm -hmm. said that he thought that all these shipping issues that we were talking about were, were going to be, I think the exact quote he used, a, an apocalyptic event for publishers. That uh, publishers were going to have to figure out different ways of doing stuff because shipping costs were going from 2 to 3% of the cost of a delivered game to 15 to 18%. And that's, you know, the, the profit margin on a board game for the publisher, for the designer is only in single digits. Mm -hmm. So if we have a, you know, 12% jump in, in shipping costs, their profit's gone. They have to figure out a different way to do it. Yep. Lots of repercussions that could come around this. Um, you know, Steve Jackson Games, again, um, said that they thought that um, it could be the end of the distributor model because distributors, you know, the, the way that the model, the, the games world works right now, they call it a three-tier model. Publishers and manufacturers make the games. They send them to distributors. Distributors will buy a truckload or pallets or whatever amount they're going to buy. They will buy... Uh, or they will then take those and break them open and sell them to game stores. And game stores, you know, you don't have to buy a case of, of eight if you think I want to dip my toe in the water, see if this game's any good. I could buy two, maybe. And it's more of a just-in-time model for a lot of game stores. The toy industry doesn't do that. In the toy industry, you must buy a case pack of everything that you buy. So people are a little bit more leery and, and you don't see the variety in the toy industry because you got to buy a whole case at a time. And if that distributor model goes away, it, it's going to have some interesting implications for small game stores because you look at a game and you're going to be like, I don't know about this one. If my only choice is to buy eight copies in a case, I'm just not going to order at all. So it may lead to less variety. Yeah, I was just thinking of that as you said it. Um, if you have to make the choice of, like, let's say I'm a game publisher and it's, oh, you know, in order to keep our profit margin okay, I have to raise the price on this game because of shipping costs and everything. Well, as a game store owner, you look at what that looks like on the distributor's end and you're like, I'm not going to order any copies of this because it's now more expensive for us yeah. to do. And that, that really will bite them in the long run. It kind of reminds me of at the beginning of COVID, um, when a lot of very small businesses were hurting pretty hard and huge businesses like Amazon and things like that, totally fine. So it reminds me of huge publishers that the shipping issue won't really affect them a ton versus the indie ones. Um, I feel like everything will just sort of condense into 
huge publishers running a lot of the market. We could see, I mean, we over the last five years, we've definitely seen a lot of acquisitions where yeah. the big guys are snapping up really cool brands. For instance, one of the things I heard last week is Spin Master bought Rubik's Cube. Rubik's Cube oh. as a company, the Rubik's hmm. company, has been a standalone company since I was a kid. I didn't know they got bought. Yeah, they got bought by Spin Master. Personally, I am not a fan of Spin Master. I think Spin Master has a habit of taking really cool things and <laughs> reducing the quality to the bare minimum level and then putting it out at a cheaper price thinking we're going to get mass market but it could we could just see really cheap and flimsy rubik's cube where rubik has done such a good job of maintaining that quality for for years but now they're no longer a standalone company especially cuz that's a competitive puzzle like a lot of people like some people like for me I'll every once in a while buy a rubik's cube and be like oh I can figure out how to solve this no but a lot of people buy them competitively cuz they use them competitively and if they're not made well they can't do what they need to so yeah, yeah I think you're right so I think we're going to we're going to see far more acquisitions we're going to see intellectual property getting moved around shuffled IDW may not have a separate games division to bring us back around right. but they they may they may wrote they may, may very well wow couldn't say that they may, may very well license like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game to somebody else a bigger distributor to say yeah. For take a it. cut of this action, take this game, print it. We want some of the money, but you basically do all the work for it. Right. So do you think that – I know this is one thing that Red Raccoon does, but I'm not sure if many other stores do. Uh, the Kickstarter model of people trying to self-publish their games or create their own games using Kickstarter and then having a, uh, a store tier – where you know you can buy in bulk a larger amount. I know that Red Raccoon often does that. They will contact if there's a hot game people are talking about. They'll try and reach out to the people creating it, seeing what they can do. Do you see that possibly being now a workaround for smaller game makers to actually get to the stores instead of then having to go through the distributors with the large pallet buys? Well, I don't know. Yes and no. Yeah. I would say yes and no too because I think we're going to run into the exact same issue that these first-time game manufacturers uh, or publishers, designers, with their Kickstarters and stuff are going to run into the same yep. shipping issues as not being able to print enough and ship enough to get the volume discounts. Yep. I think those small designers are going to run into the same issue as the publishers along the way. So I know we. Um, my first thought when you asked that was, when Terraforming Mars, the big box, came out what, a couple weeks ago, and it was hitting individual tiers of people who backed it individually before it got to the store. Um, and it, not even just our store, in terms of those store models, there was there was a shipping issue. Um, I know like I got my copy of the big box before we got it in store just because of how it worked out. And so I feel like and they're pretty well experienced at this point, the terraforming series with small developers trying to make their own game at first. I feel like they're going to run into the same shipping issues. Yeah. And and, and um, you know, I've been doing stuff on Kickstarter long enough that all Kickstarters used to have free shipping. No Kickstarter has free shipping anymore. Yep. Well, not no. Very, very few Kickstarters yes. have, have free shipping anymore. Everybody 
has been for the last two years putting a chart saying, here is your estimated shipping charges, what we think it's going to be in the last few months if you've been watching Kickstarter and all of them say we will we will contact you about shipping when we get closer to ship date yep. to charge your card then because they they don't know they can't predict it right yep. now so I, I think that we'll see um, bigger companies with Kickstarter being very successful um, and I think that we're gonna see more stores going direct to um, the the publishers themselves you know, we, we've been lucky enough over the last few years to have really developed a great community at the game store where there are very few titles that we don't bring in a case or multiple cases of because even on some of these bigger, crunchy $200 games with a ton of incredible minis, we have a dedicated fan base where we can get 12 and 12 will sell and we're not left holding the bag on that one. Right. And we've kind of got this mentality. If we don't think we can sell at least six of it, then why are we even bringing it in? That means that we have the ability to go directly to publishers if we need to and buy in quantity A from case. them directly. Um, and it, it, and there's many cases where we are skipping the distributors in that, in that model where we're going straight to them. They get more of our money. We get a bigger savings because the distributor in that 10 to 12% of distributor takes in the middle is just eliminated. It's a lot more work on our part to have maintain all these individual relationships and shipping minimums and everything that goes on with going straight to the publishers. But we've gotten to a point where we can do it successfully with them, where they're happy, we're happy. It's a good relationship all the way around. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I think that's a, a testament to Red Raccoon itself, is I've never come in and not been surprised on what's on the shelf and and had the quantity in which I need. Now, I'm a person that comes in every week, so I don't know if that's a fair assessment <laughs> for everyone. But I can say that's one of the reasons why I love talking with you all and and in, in interacting with the store as a whole, because I do know that you guys have been not just building up product to sell, you've been building up a community that wants this product as well. Um, well, and it's it's a difference of, you know, when I first bought the store from Ken seven years ago now, um, I, a lot of times, was the only one working there during the daytime. It's way before I met either of you two. Right. And I would be there by myself, and then somebody would come in at 5 p.m. and run the store at night and, and close. There's no way I could do that anymore. I, oh, no. I am not really on the sales floor that much anymore, mostly on Saturday mornings with Jeff, Friday afternoons and Saturday mornings when we're super busy. But the rest of the week, my time is spent trying to make sure that product is moving and, yep. and the bills are paid and employees are paid and marketing is happening. And there's, it's far less of me getting to, um, to actually be on the floor and interact with everybody. I'll, I'll pop up when I hear certain voices. I have developed yep. some awesome friends over the years from the store, but, but a lot of times I'm behind the scenes now, you know, and Jesse likes to joke as like the, the fastest way to not actually get to play board games anymore is to work at a board game store. So I think honestly, the only times I see you on the board game floor is if you're caught in the travel to go order games and you happen to get caught upstairs um, because there's, it's, there's just so much to do. Um, the sheer quantity that we order stuff and process special orders and everything like that. There's no way that 
you could be in both places at once. Yeah, so. I mean, even just a just in a small microcosm scale, just the sheer number of dice sets that we bring. Oh we my go God, for Ryan. <laughs> yeah, Ryan has taken over, and she is currently the the dice goblin, and she is organizing and processing on all the dice that are coming in. But there are so many amazing sets being created by this wide variety of manufacturers of of dice now. And we are sourcing from at least 15 different places to bring in all these amazing designs. And just the sheer amount of dice, I yep. would never be able to keep up just it's, with dice. It's always funny whenever I see a message where we chat um, with the whole team. And I see a message that's like, Ryan, we got new dice in for you. I'm like, oh, that's going to be a, a lot of sets. Poor Ryan. Buckle up. We yeah, yeah, the sheer number we order. Dice in is huge, let alone board games. Now, let's say somebody wanted to get a pair of dice, but more have it in a functional accessory way, like earrings or something along those lines. <laughs> Is there any place where you guys know that, that those type of things are sold or oh, could be found? You know what? I'm glad you asked. That's that's weird. Um, so in the store, we have, um, we have a lot of indie companies that will sell various things in the store. For example, I'm blanking on her name. I feel awful. Um, we'll post it maybe in the show notes if I can remember. Uh, there's an artist who has some of her stickers uh, that are D&D themed. With cats. With cats. They're adorable. Uh, there's various potions. Very cool. Um, occasionally, we'll get in some artists that will do things like D&D earrings uh, or pins. I know there's this one company. Oh, gosh. I think she sounds kind of cool. <laughs> I sound like such a jerk. Um, the company's called Waycraft Coven. Um, I own it. We it's talked great. about you on the last I heard. On Thank the last you. podcast because you were at the Ren Fair. Yeah. You yes. were still up there. I was so. up at the Bristol Renaissance Fair for three weekends. Uh, and it's still going on, actually. Next weekend is the last weekend of the season. So I might go up for my birthday. I might not. Um but you made some amazing dice sets. People yes. have been very happy about yes. them. Yep. We and sold at the bottom at the store. Yeah. I'm even expanding for... Um, the dice candles. Dice candles. Yes. So I do uh, these small candles. They're all soy wax. Um, the small ones have a random D20 inside. And because it's soy wax, the burning temp is really low. So it doesn't damage the dice, meaning you can just take them out and roll them. Um, the large candles have full dice sets. So it's kind of like a mystery candle. Um, but you don't know what dice set you're going to get until you burn it. And they all smell pretty cool. Um, I'm doing a, a series for Halloween of some spooky-themed ones. Uh, to give you a hint, one of them is themed after gummy sharks, uh, the, like, candy, because uh, the dice sets happen to look, like, <laughs> blue and white. It's very weird. It's fun. We, but might, we might need to have a special episode just where we talk to the owner of, of Waycraft Coven, Coven. Yeah. Coven yeah. uh, about making dice and what that's oh, like in that fun. process. Yeah. So I, I think I would like to do that sometime. That'd be cool. We should, we should talk to them and also bring Ryan on for that if Ryan has time. Because Ryan is a huge – if you ever come in the store and you run into Ryan, ask Ryan about their dice sets. Because Ryan buys from custom-made dice companies, um, like Everything Dice and stuff like that online. And those are high-end handmade dice. So, like, Ryan has a few dice sets that are, like, $120, $130 sets that are gorgeous, like, insanely pretty. I think so we will have, have a dice, dice episode. Have a dice episode. That would Absolutely. be fun. Thank nice. You. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of things that are going on inside the store, what's happening this week within the store? Oh. I think... It's kind of business as usual. I'm trying to think of you know, any... Well, the biggest single thing that's happening this week, and this is that we're opening up pre-orders for Pokemon Celebrations yes. this week. Yes. 
We are. This so, is, I did not mean for this to be a totally Pokemon uh, episode, but hey, it has but sure turned there's into there's a lot it. of news this week on it, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. So Pokemon Celebrations is the special 25th anniversary set. This is the 25th year of Pokemon, and this is like the, we're pulling out all the stops, we're going crazy, and they're creating a special set called Pokemon Celebrations. Um, it is a lot of the cards are recreations of classic Pokemon cards from the entire 25 year series, including a recreation of the base set Charizard, yep. of the uh, surfing Pikachu, the the birthday Pikachu card, yeah, um, the of... the original Rayquaza. Yep. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of cards in the set list that this recreation and the fervor is high for this set people have been asking us for a month like what's going on when can we pre-order the set we with all of the pokemon mania of this year we have had a policy of we are not going to open pre-orders until we know and have confirmed numbers with our distributor to know exactly what we're going to get in the store and which ties into the shipping issues right. of of when product is going to be there and at what quantity and um yeah the pokemon celebrations people have been um, asking us for weeks and it's a pre-orders are officially going to open up tuesday at 5 p.m in store only no phone calls we're not going to accept any orders over the phone at all yeah and and because our numbers we're not getting a ton of most of the various stuff we should have a decent amount of elite elite trainer boxes but the other stuff like the uh you know, there's a Pokemon Ultra Premium set. It's like a $130 set. Um, we'll have a ton of those now. Yeah. Six. Yeah, that makes sense. Six, yeah. So um, when we've got single digits coming in, we're not going to have enough to take care of everybody. But I also want to set the expectation of we told you from the beginning we weren't going to have enough. Yes. You know, and they're going to sell out pretty much instantly. And so, you know, we're only going to take pre-orders for what we know we're going to have. The cool thing with the uh, – you mentioned it a little bit – is Celebrations is a culmination of all 25 years of Pokemon. So it's not just reprints of base set like Evolutions was, which was here's some of the like, base set, base set two cards. They're doing uh, reprints from like all the old Team Rocket stuff as well and the new Team Rocket Returns, yeah. which was in 2004. They just leaked um, – this past week, I think it was honestly on Wednesday, of like the Team Magma Groudon card, which is hugely expensive as it is now. They're reprinting that card. So they're doing cards from like the mid-2000s as well. Um, so it's going to hit any level of nostalgia. It's going to be a crazy set. Yeah. Well, and and um, going away from Pokemon, yeah. other stuff that's coming in this week that we're looking at is I think the, the big release is going to be um, – uh, Catan 3D. Yes. <laughs> Catan 3D was supposed to be in the store Friday. Well, shipping issues got us again. <laughs> Rewind about 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> shipping issues got us again. And so we're hoping it's going to be either Monday or Tuesday that'll be in the store. But this is a big giant collector set, right? This is, it's because it's MSRP $300. So True. this is a Catan collector set with full 3D tiles oh, of every so tile. Gorgeous. So you can see the mountains, you can see sheep standing on the plains. <laughs> Everything about it, they went over the top premium with it, um, and because this is um, 
God, what is this, the 30th anniversary of Catan this year? I, I think it's the, it's either the 30th or the 25th. Yeah, and it's just like this crazy over-the-top set that they made. Um, and uh, so that'll be a big release coming out this week, too. You know, those are those are both going to – I think people are going to go a little batty for those things. Fantastic. I do also want to just put a quick shout-out because I know that this last week you went ahead and had your Christmas party finally. <laughs> we did. Uh, long overdue. <laughs> But the 2019 Christmas party. Yeah, 2019 Christmas party. We, we so. usually do our Christmas party after Christmas because we're so crazy just trying to keep up during the season that it's usually in late January or early February, and we do it. We go out, and we have, we have a party, and just relax and blow off some steam and stuff. Well, we couldn't do it because... Um, uh, Zora. We had, yeah, Brittany was pregnant with Zora, so we were, okay, well, let's give Brittany a little time because she should get to go to the party with everybody else. Yep. So then we pushed it back a little bit, and then um, two of our staff members from that era, um, we didn't realize that they were going on like a cruise. So they went on a cruise, so we pushed it back again, and we were supposed to do the 2019 Christmas party on April 4th of 2020. And uh, something happened on that day, yeah. right around there. Was it like a, something? was it rain? Oh no, there was this whole like, oh yeah, coronavirus. Yeah. That, that's that, what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. So yeah, that's global right. pandemic yep. shut yeah. everything down. Yep. So we've had this credit. I had paid for this party in November of 2019. <laughs> and um, so we, 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 we went to Mass VR. We had a great time, pizza and, um, uh, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic libations. We yep. did the arena, um, ran around, shot at each other in the uh, virtual reality arena, yeah. did all the other virtual reality games, and just blew off a lot of steam and had Shout a lot of fun. Shout out to Mass VR because that, first of all, their team is really awesome because they know, I, I can only imagine, I, I have issues with my Oculus as it is, uh, troubleshooting, having to manage a team of eight people wearing Oculuses running around in a room. Like, that's pretty cool. But in general, it was so fun. Especially when they run into walls, right? Do yeah. You know? I don't know who would have ran into a wall. <laughs> Definitely wasn't me. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't even like a gentle. So essentially, they tell you when you have the headset on, there's certain places you can and can't go because the room is a limited space. Um, and you can see where your teammates are in the headset. Um, I might have zoned out during one part of the presentation and ran headfirst into a wall. It wasn't a gentle thing at yeah. all. Oh, uh, that was that was pretty good. We but had we had fun. It, it was, was good. good. We needed that. Everybody's been working their butts off. They yep. absolutely deserved to go out and have fun. And we invited all current employees, as well as everybody who um, worked at the store from that period of time. And so, um, you know, Grayson was there. Aaron was there. Some of the others couldn't make it. You know, Fook is uh, working up in Madison now. Jenna's down working in St. Louis. They couldn't get break away. Um, but we invited everybody that's worked in the store since then. We had a great time. It was a blast. Well, it is fantastic to hear that you guys finally got to uh, have some time to yourselves yes. as a group to enjoy <laughs> each other. And from people like me who enjoy the store, we are always happy to see all of you there and happy to be there. So if this is what it takes to get you there, right. we are happy that you can close early and enjoy it. Well, so thank you, John. Heck you're yeah. welcome. On behalf of the customers, thank you so much. Uh, and on that note, we're going to go ahead and close out this episode. Thank you so much. I'll go ahead and unlock your shackles on Jamie. Jill, I guess you can just stay in here and talk for another three hours about Pokemon. I honestly, I could just set up a little like mattress in here. Just you know, yeah. take the mics. I I I could talk for a Perfect. while about All right. Pokemon. We'll, yeah. we'll let you 
Yeah. Make your own little side projects. But <laughs> until we get that published. Yes. Uh, everybody, <laughs> thank you for listening and keep playing. Bye, guys. Bye.